What's up, everybody? Welcome to Salah's Corner with the one and only Salah Muhammad. I, I love the air horns. <laughs> oh, that makes me so happy. That, you have that, no it, idea. It does. How it does. happy that makes me. I, I appreciate the air horns, but we got <laughs> we got asked folks if we should go back to to if we should keep our our actual air horns or go to your air horns. I mean, you know, I'm biased, so you bias. Which one are you bias towards? I don't know. <laughs> you can't. You can't say you bias. No, I mean because my air horns are different than the 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 other air horns like they pronounce their air horns differently than i pronounce mine well yeah it's a machine i'm just saying anyway welcome. so up, which Sarah? ones do you guys like the machine ones or mine i mean i don't really care either way i like <laughs> i like playing with it because i got all kinds of sound effects yeah it's here. a lot of snazzy little things over there we got some we got some new tech in the studio so I, I might I might find ways to loop some stuff in here. We got we got applause when I when I'm saying dope ass shit. I'm gonna need an applause, right? <laughs> we got laughter when Farrah don't laugh at my jokes. No, I laugh at every. I'm a laugher. I laugh at everything, even when I shouldn't laugh. So I should, there's a rim shot on here. I should start incorporating dad jokes. Raina is like on the side. Like if you don't cut it out and stop. <laughs> so how's it going? How you doing? It's, you you set me up for a dad joke. I just want to <laughs> let you know. Let's 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 get on with this show, y'all. What's up, Farrah? What's going on? What's new with you? Nothing really. I did the the Philly Spring cleanup this weekend. I saw. It was a great success. I dope. had a lot of fun. Cleaned up the block. That was great. West Philly, Philadelphia. You know, West Philadelphia, born and raised. Don't don't so, do the rest of that. I, I wasn't. I was, I, that it, was going to stop there. You know, white people do that every time. I Like, whenever I meet somebody so you're white. you're trying to call me a white woman? No, 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 no. But, like, they do this. They'll be like, where are you from? I'll be like, oh, Philly. Oh, yeah, what part of Philly? What's Philly of you? Born in Philly? I'll be like, oh, God, <laughs> just stop. Just stop. Mine wasn't whack like that, though. Yeah. Mine was just, true. you know. But, yeah, did it in West Philly. Yeah, it was great. Do you know, just quick sidebar, I was just looking through the Inquirer. And there was somebody who wrote an opinion piece about how he's not going to take part in the cleanup until Kenny does something or another. I didn't read what the article said, but it's like. Take part in what cleanup? Just like cleaning the city? The spring cleanup. Yeah. Mm Because you know what happens yearly. And they're like, I'm not taking part in the cleanup until Kenny does this. And then I'm like. What? How much fucking sense does that make? You dirty ass nigga. (sighs) But Um, I digress. (laughs) Anyway, that's trash. I'm glad the cleanup was a success. Are you going to do more? Yeah, because I'm a firm believer in like, yes, we have the Philly, the, the, the cleanup year round. I mean, um, every year, but we need to be doing something year round to keep, you know, our communities clean. Like, yes, the city plays a major role in providing a safe, clean environment for us, but we play a role in that too. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we have to take part, even if it's just something like sweeping your your front and like your neighbor's front. Like, do something to help keep the city clean. Go to other, a couple people on your block and say, hey, let's clean up the street this week. Like, let's do Do something every, all the, throughout the year. We love to see it. We love to see it. How about you? What you been up to? I'm planning a big cleanup. Okay. <laughs> That's, you know, that was that was me, like, telling you that, like, are you going to do it again? Because I'm doing one. Um, I guess that. I am. You saw that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I'm uh, I'm still in the early planning stages of it, honestly. Among like seven other events that As I'm planning. As usual, per usual. Let's see. I am planning a drive-in movie mm-hmm, night, mm-hmm. May 10th. I'm planning a cleanup day, which will likely be later in May, maybe early June. What part of the city? I'm not sure yet. We're still okay. figuring that out. I'm Either also, way, I'm there. I'm also doing this work around the upcoming election, primary election. Mm-hmm. So I'm busy. Awesome. I'm super busy, but it's cool. Awesome. It's good stuff. I'm also trying to like learn the guitar, which I is super like you random. That before. I did, but now I'm committed to actually learning the guitar, and I just need to. I need to find someone who can give me lessons once a week, maybe, maybe like on the weekend for like a half hour to an hour, and also recommend a guitar I should buy because I don't know. Not, and you know, like our family is very musically inclined, mm-hmm. so I need to get back into that. I need a new habit. That a sounds new, like a new fun. hobby. I'm going to be starting school soon, and then I have a lot of stuff that I'm going to be doing too, as far as activism wise, with a couple organizations. So I'm going about to be busy too. Be busy. Be busy. Yeah. All right. Let's go on to our first segment: politics meets pop culture. Okay. Here's my thing. Right. 
I feel like anything that becomes, I feel like everything, everything about being us, black, you know, Latinx, and any any person that is a person of color, right? Mm-hmm. Everything about us is political because politi- because the political is personal and the personal is political. Like everything about our being turns into something that is political. So I feel like everything is political meets pop culture, especially when it involves celebrity, right? So to me, I feel like this ridiculous kerfuffle with the whole Lil Nas X Montero mm. situation is a, a politics meets pop culture because I really feel like he is being dogged out for no fucking reason just because he's gay. And that's that's really what I feel like. I feel like it's just because he's gay. So can I tell you I know nothing about that? And when I mean I know nothing, I keep seeing it posted. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's shitty. Like, is it just people, like, attacking him because he's gay? I like, think it is. That's just homophobia. What's the, can you can you break down, like, what's what's happening? So he put out a music video. I don't know the, the full name of the song, but it's something Montero. That's his name, but the name of the song is something is something Montero, and the imagery of the video is very is out there. You know, like he he dresses in drag. He wears is a lot of religious imagery in it. And at the end, where the major problem for a lot of people is at the end, he like gives the devil this lap dance thing, this lap dance at the end. That's kind of funny, actually. It's, it's, it's fucking hilarious. But then. I feel like, and so people are making it an issue, like he's a devil worshiper. And then he has like this Nike collab that Nike supposedly has nothing to do with, but they're supposed to be like, there is a red and black Nike that's supposed to go along with, with this campaign. And it's supposed to be one drop of human blood in it, which I think is just, it's just spin to sell shoes. But that's the, that's the, that's the rhetoric that goes along with the shoe. And so people are having this big making this big deal about it. Oh, he's lap dancing on the devil. No one has to see that. Like he makes music for kids. Why is it? I'm like, no, number one, he makes music. Just because you let your kids listen to it doesn't mean it's for kids. The song y'all are talking about that's supposed to be for kids talks about drinking lean and cheating on his girl. But y'all okay with that. But the minute a video that really the song has really nothing to, not necessarily nothing to do with the, the video per se, now it's a big deal. And I really believe it's just because he's gay. Because there has been so many, there's so much icon iconography in other people's music. Other people meaning men, straight heterosexual men. Their music that has to do with the devil or their, the, the name of their group or whatever. And imagery that they put out. And no one bats a fucking eye. But the minute this gay man living his best life, living in his truth does it. Now what's a problem? Like it's the fucking three six mafia, bro. The um Dark Man X. He was covered in what was supposed to have been blood and yeah. imagery. Yeah. Y'all didn't have a problem with that shit then. But now that he does it, now it's a fucking problem. If you don't want to watch the video, then don't fucking watch it. I'ma tell you a very I don't know if this is is if this is evident of who's winning the, the the social media debate of this because let's be honest that's where all of this lives or it's just evident of like i don't pay attention or who i follow i've heard <laughs> none of that like not in like the sense of like defending any side of it like i mm-hmm. legitimately have heard nothing about this the only thing that i've seen on social media is like people coming to his defense yeah and then I, i've just been sitting here thinking like well what the fuck are they defending but like never really was I made a post. <laughs> I made a post it. about it, and I had I saw friends it. and family who were trying to say to me, you know, no, I'm not letting my kids listen. Well, you shouldn't have been letting your kids listen to that shit in the first place. Right. That's that's a that's a totally different like line of discussion. <laughs> right. Like, like, like maybe you should just y'all parent. let y'all kids say and listen to worse. Yeah. Like if that man is gay, let let him be who he wants to be. That that gets into this line of, and we I think we should dedicate a, an episode to this of like black respectability. I think we've 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 talked about this on episodes, mm-hmm. and, but that gets into this era of that that's has this weird relationship with conservatism and mm-hmm. and religion that is much more evident in like black dynamic than we give credit for and i also i also also like as as it 
connects to like the political right like if the republican party wasn't racist they would actually be more successful with black people because like <laughs> yeah. a lot of black people still hold the same ideals that they do but they're just too racist to figure that part out i'm not hiding anything by or i'm not like breaking news by sharing that here that's just like a known fact <laughs> and so yeah we really should dedicate an episode to that because it really does just sound like respectability and yeah. like you know it's the same thing that they you know, it's no different than, and, and I hear what you're saying, it's no different than like rap videos or especially that glorify sex and abuse of women and things right. like that. Right, raping it, women it, and shit, slipping the mollies in their drinks and shit. Y'all listen to that shit. Right. Y'all champion that shit. But this man who's just, not to mention, at the end of the video, he snaps the devil's neck. So he's doing you a favor. He killed him. He took his place. That's what that's what it is. He took his place. That's what it is. And they mad about that. I'm now just he's saying. the new devil. That's they just, can't make a gay man be the devil. Because apparently that's something wrong with that too. I'm just saying. I don't know. I'm just grasping. That's that's my, that's 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 the soapbox I'm standing on today. You I I give you that soapbox. That's fair. Everybody needs a soapbox. Homophobia every now is and, uh, trash and, and that shit needs to stop. I had a totally other politics meets pop culture, but this I'm one works. I'm sorry. No, nah, this is good. You don't need to be sorry. <laughs> this one works. I didn't I you I learned something today you about could, why people hate Lil Nas X apparently. Yeah. I just don't like his name. I think it's too many too much. <laughs> Lil Nas X. It's it's like a combination of different like yeah. rappers. Yeah. Maybe but, that was the play. I don't know. I don't care. I don't, I don't think I've ever heard a song by him, but that's that's really shitty if people aren't supporting him just because of this video. That's shitty. That's, that's exactly yep, that's that's exact homophobia. What it is. Yep. All right, let's move on. Everything is local. You got any? You got anything local? You, I you got do. The, you got the Enquirer now, so I you do. know you got all the deep. <laughs> there is a new Democrat jumping into the Senate race. He is Kevin Baumlin. He is the chair of Pennsylvania Hospital's emergency department. He's been that since. Uh, 2016. And he is jumping in as a Democrat because people were dying because of the disinformation and the lack of accountability of our leaders to put people first. That's him in quotes. So yeah, he's running as a Democrat. Hmm. He ain't going to get nowhere. So that, that joins <laughs> that joins <laughs> Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, State Rep Malcolm Kenyatta, the Montgomery County Commissioner Val Arkush, I, I heard about her a couple weeks ago mm -hmm. when she um, jumped in. Then you also have a couple other people who are being considered to run, including well, State Senator Sharif Street and your favorite person. Who's my favorite person? I don't have favorite people. Jim Kenney. Oh, that nigga. I hate him. He's speculated to be running. So The fact yeah. that he has not been forced to resign as mayor <laughs> and is trying to run for the Senate is just like, Well, bro, he hasn't what? announced yet. He's just, it's just talks of him running. Street has performed, has launched, I should say, not performed, meant to say. He's launched an exploratory committee. Sharif Street. Yeah, I saw it, I saw that on uh, Facebook the that other day. I, I saw it that they he, they he had a panel up and everything. Mm. Um, I didn't tune into it. I was doing something else. But yeah, he's considering running. I I, I have no comment there. <laughs> I am not going to comment on that. We'll talk but about it when we when we off there. Good luck to all of those individuals. <laughs> this is the 2022 oh. Senate race. And I guess who's so. running as a Democrat? I mean, as a Republican. For the for the Pennsylvania Senate, yeah, Ryan Costello. <laughs> can you can you ex tell folks who Ryan Costello is? He's the former representative for a federal representative for the House. Ryan Costello, yeah, he's trash basically. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's let's take a quick break. I need a break after that one. You, did, you don't have anything. I don't got none. I need a break after that. There's 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 too many. There's levels and backstories to some of this stuff that I just I, I publicly just can't share. So I need to take a break <laughs> for you breaking some of this information to me. I think the moral of the story is with all of this, like I'm not paying attention to anything anymore, which I think is a good thing. So I'm I had to read that. the I, I had to to I had to look for it. I mean, because it's not like really out there. Yeah. But I just subscribe to the paper because I want to I want to be more informed. I don't like I, I told you this before. I don't watch the, the local news on TV. So I want a way to be in and in, interact with the news that isn't doesn't seem so bloated. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I agree. I, I recommend and full of and full of gun violence. <laughs> I, I agree. I recommend everyone subscribe to their local paper and stay right there. We'll be back after we take a quick break. Yeah. 
Here at Salah's Corner, I am always looking to connect with new people, hear new perspectives, and share new stories. And right now, I want to hear from you. Email me at realtalk@salahscorner.com, and we can get your story featured on our next episode. All right, y'all, welcome back. I was probably too loud, so Raina's going to tell me about that later. We are back. We are in <laughs> studio. Raina is off at the side laughing at me like, I can't believe she keeps calling me out every time I'm in <laughs> studio. I got to, right? But we got a guest this week. We've been doing, like, really good as far as, like, having guests and stuff. Mm-hmm. We've been on, we're riding the waves. We, we really have been, and it, I think it just adds to hopefully the level of success of this podcast and so in studio we have cynthia cynthia please introduce yourself to the beautiful people hi beautiful people my name is cynthia alvarado i am a formerly incarcerated woman who served 12 years i was wrongfully convicted by the city of philadelphia i love that that is a part of your intro because I think what that does is constantly hold the city to account Mm -hmm. for what they did to you absolutely Can we talk about just where you grew up, your upbringing, and, you know, where you you, uh, lived in Philly? So I am from North Philadelphia. I am from a impoverished environment. I come, I am a first-generation American. My parents were immigrants, and um, they did the best that they could. I lived in an environment with a lot of trauma, a lot of domestic violence. You know, growing up as a Puerto Rican girl, we never talked about a lot of our issues. Mm. So I suppressed a lot of that. In doing so, I hurt myself. And I was looking for love in all the wrong places, and as a lot of little girls do in the inner cities. And, you know, it got me in a lot of trouble. Damn, that's heavy. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) there's so much there. (laughs) There's so much there, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, and I don't even think, as a a man, I, I think we also look for love in the wrong places. Mm -hmm. I don't think that we admit that to ourselves, but it's also one of the triggers that gets, I think, men also involved into activities that's not necessarily, you know, contributing to their well-being or the well-being of their family and things like that. What what area did you, you grew up in North Philly? Is it, is it up North or is it, is it down North? I grew up in the Badlands. In the Badlands. If you listen to the TED Talk, uh, she specifically talks about the Badlands and uh, it was a lot of violence, a lot of, you know, trauma like I keep reiterating but really what I want to say is that you know I when I went to prison I I started to introspect and I started to ask myself like what happened to my life and that's when I started realizing that I had a lot of unaddressed traumas that I had as a child that you know were never talked about and I had to learn to you know identify those traumas on my own Mm. and I had to learn to to love myself, you know, in a way that I have never, I never was taught to because I was busy just trying to survive. And, you know, my parents were doing the best that they could, you know, being first, you know, immigrants to this country. Where are your parents from? They're from Puerto Rico. Mm, Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just a quick, so that everyone is on the same page, the TED Talk that she's discussing is called Me Too and Mass Incarceration by Jill McCorkle. You can find it um, on YouTube and or just Google it and you can uh, see what she's talking about. Yes. I think we'll, we'll probably drop the links and the show notes. So for folks to find it easy, it's 20 minutes, but it's, I, I promise you it's worth it. I listened mm-hmm. to it. We'll, we'll get into some of what was talked about here a little bit. And so, you know, just taking us on that journey, right? You, you talked about some of the trauma that you, you grew up with. Is there anything that you can share with us here in, in a sense of like just that shared experience of like trauma? Well, I could say that, you know, because I grew up in a, in a poor environment, there wasn't a lot of resources. My father uh, used to drink because he was also a product of trauma, Mm. and he was probably trying to self-medicate, as a lot of us do. I basically had to, you know, become an adult at a very young age, and I really did not have a childhood. And in, in me not having a childhood, I basically, you know, held a lot of things inside, and eventually all of those things as a woman started to resurface. And I started to realize, why do I feel like this? Why do I always feel sad? Why do I always feel empty? You know, I had money, I had houses, I had things, but none of those things were ever filling the voids that I had inside. And that is what a lot of people, you know, in the inner cities go through. It's like you have to survive and you kind of put yourself second. And in doing so, you end up in a really, really dark situation, you know? That's so true. So true. We were talking before we started recording about how, you know, especially for someone that's suffering, you know, I was telling the perspective of a young man when we were talking Mm -hmm. of like, 
school's abandoning you, the city's abandoning you, mm-hmm. you don't have access to resources, community centers, and things like that, and the only community that's embracing you is the, the folks that's out there on the corner or the folks that's not focused on being productive, right, or, or focused on things that are harmful. And so it's no wonder that it's, it's, it's very easy to understand how someone can be attracted to that life because mm-hmm. it's the only way I know to survive. And, mm-hmm. a, and, a, and, a, and I know that, that story is so prevalent, especially in Philly, but for so many folks across mm-hmm. the city. And it's, it's, it seems as though it's filling a void, right? Like it makes you think these situations and going into these kind of environments make you think that it's making you happy and it's, and it's not. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Can you when as you were going through this, right, mm-hmm. living with this trauma and experiencing this, did you recognize it as a failure on anyone's particular part? Or is it just like I got I need what I need and I need to go fill that? Well, first, I want to say that I was I had first honors when I was growing up. I was intellectually, you know, inclined. I, I had all the grades. But inside I was, you know, hurting. And I my environment always conditioned me to believe I wasn't good enough. Mm. So even though I had the good grades and even though I could have went to University of Penn, I always had that little voice telling me, you're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. And I believe that it was the conditioning of my society, my environment, you know, the broken windows theory of just seeing all the brokenness around me. And even though I could have been stronger, I wasn't. Mm -hmm. You know, I always was like, you know what, I'm just going to run away. I'm just going to sabotage everything. Nobody cares about me. You know, and it makes me a little emotional, but I believe a lot of people feel like that. Yeah. And that's why I'm on a path that I'm on now is to try to dedicate my life to building my community because I am my community. And if nobody else is going to do it, you know, even if I could help one or two people, I know that I'm making a change. I like how you how you said the I'm going to sabotage my like mm-hmm. situation or circumstances, because I think, you know, I, I, I know I've personally been on that mindset before. Mm-hmm. Right. Like. You know, you don't think you deserve because you aren't giving the same advantages, even though intellectually you're probably superior than a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. But because you don't have that same support system, you start then sabotaging your own successes. That's that's real. You know, like a lot. I know a lot of people that think and feel that. Yeah. Imposter syndrome is a bitch. It is. It really is. And, And like. To, to then start mentally sabotaging yourself, but then also take it out into actual actions where you start sabotaging your own opportunities for success by, you know, circling yourself with the wrong people or doing activities and things that you intellectually, you know, to be a detriment, but you've conditioned, you've been conditioned by society and our system of not being there and supportive to thinking that you don't deserve something good can you talk about you know i know this is traumatic so you know feel free to share as much or as little as you like Uh can you talk about the incident that got you in front of police yes so first i want to say that i had obviously i'm a product of trauma and when i was young before i get to that i started to run away from home because of the domestic violence you know that took place home Mm -hmm. and i started encountering drug dealers and i you know i sold drugs and I put myself in really bad situations, but it was better than having to endure the pain that I was enduring. So when I got older, like I said, I never dealt with the trauma and all the trauma started to resurface. I always felt empty. So I had I was in a really bad car accident in 2005 where I was prescribed a, a Percocet and Oxycontin by a doctor. I became addicted to the pills. And a year later, I was on a drug corner just trying to buy pills. And in doing that, uh, something really bad happened. My cousin was not in his right state of mind. And something happened and somebody was killed. So that's what led me to the park that day was my addiction to pills that stemmed from a car accident. So just imagine like a girl who was traumatized her whole life, never had help, and now you're in an accident. And now you you succumb to this addiction that is just, you know, out, out out of your control, basically. Wow. That's, that's, there's... And so many avenues there, like I can see how you've been victimized Mm -hmm. from, you know, the support system that's just inherent in Philadelphia that just seems to be more of a tradition in this city than of anything else than than that of, you know, brotherly love or sisterly Mm -hmm. affection. Right. But then also, you know, you talked about the the car accident Mm -hmm. and you... 
being prescribed medication that we know now to be so harmful and so addictive for folks where now we, we've, you know, we've endured this crisis mm-hmm. of folks addicted to opioids and like, like on multiple levels, like you describe how like our communities are like being attacked mm-hmm. almost and, and, and being put at a disadvantage to wealthier communities and those who have, you know, who, who basically are white and not people of color. Absolutely. Can I just want to say, like, really quick, if I may, that, you know, when I was prosecuted in Philly, none of that was brought up at court. None of my trauma, none of my car accident, you know, me being prescribed medications. You know, my attorney decided not to bring any of that up. And, you know, those are mitigating circumstances. And Mm -hmm. I just believe that, you know, I was uh, criminalized because I was poor. I was criminalized because I was traumatized. And it's just very sad. And it happens to too many women. And there's a lot of innocent women right now in prison who went through the same thing that I had went through, you know? So let's let's now let's dive into that, right? So mm-hmm. you, you talked about the incident being at the park. I don't want to mischaracterize what, what took place, as, as though I've been trying to, to keep myself abreast of what took place <laughs> in your case and, and everything like that. Can you can you just give us an overarching view of like how, you know, what ended up happening, the incident that took place, and then what the, the, the whole story with the police and your interrogation is just, like, disgusting. Yeah, it was. So, first of all, we went there to buy pills. There was three of us there. I haven't seen a, a friend of mine for, like, 10 years. Mm-hmm. I gave her a ride, which was a really big mistake. I learned to, like, build boundaries now that I'm older and I'm out of prison. We went to the park. My cousin gets out, and instead of him buying pills, something happened with him and the drug dealer. About a couple seconds later, I see him running to the car, and I see a whole bunch of people just running behind him. My first instinct was to protect him because, you know, that's how I grew up. Right, yeah. Never to leave somebody behind in a war zone, never leave a soldier behind. That's how I was looking at it. So I looked at him. I said, you need to get in the car. You need to get in the car. I heard gunshots. He gets in the car. We take off. The first thing that I asked him was, you know, did you shoot somebody? I was like, what the fuck? Did you shoot somebody? Like, he said no. I know better than to pry, you know, because of the way that I was raised. You tell me no, the conversation is over. Because if you did something, I don't want to become your witness or somebody that now, you know, I'm a threat to you. Uh Mm -hmm. So we never talked about it again. We got arrested at 10 o'clock at night. I didn't know somebody was shot and killed. And and neither, you know, did the girl that was with us. You know, she wind up turning state evidence on me. Uh She became a star witness for the prosecution. She was granted immunity which they only grant you immunity when you have pending charges. Mm -hmm. And then later on, after a decade of me being in prison, I found out that she had an open felony case that the district attorney hid from us. They suppressed evidence. It's constitutional error. And, you know, it happens all the time. There's many women right now in prison who were, their witnesses against them were criminals, people that had something to gain. And it's, it's unfortunate, but it happens, you know. God, that's so much. There's yeah. so much <laughs> so there. Much. You know, it's funny. There, There's a recurring theme that takes place on that's been happening over our podcast when we've had some previous guests. And it's this this trauma that's introducing them into politics and civic in, uh, activation. And it's like the individualized trauma that's happening from the system or the system being so ineffective. It's it's either producing the trauma directly or indirectly because of, of all of these holes in the system. With yours, it's like, it's it's so many levels of the trauma, right? From from the healthcare system, you know, with 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 over probably over prescribing and mm-hmm. and and you know, giving you access to, to this medication that was highly, highly addictive, which mm-hmm. we know now years later, right? But then as a product of being prescribed this highly addictive medication, you then become, you know, turn to avenues that, you know, are, are, are being able to obtain that medicine and ends up into this whole shit storm mm-hmm. of, of, of someone um, being killed. And like... And the trauma of being a product of... I hate using these kinds of terms, but like inner city, urban neighborhoods. Like, yeah. that's a whole nother set of circumstances that causes... That that thrusts us into into traumatic situations. Let, let's be real. Like I know you're saying you hate saying it, but like living in the hood mm-hmm. is traumatic. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 it's like how you attributed it to like a war zone. Really, mm-hmm. it really is like trying to survive mm-hmm. like a, a rough environment and rough terrain, and you have to be 
conscientious of the the soldiers, quote unquote, that are mm-hmm. around you, which may be family, friends, or just close loved ones, right? But also like pr- possibly viewing persons, people that you interact with as like the enemy on mm-hmm. the other side because in the hood sometimes it's like that it really is like that because the system is pitting us against each other mm-hmm. on top of like trying to control us right and so you have all of these traumatic experiences that's thrusting you to this confrontation with mm-hmm. the criminal punishment system right and so can you just talk about you shed a lot on like how what happened during your trial and what happened during like criminal proceedings and stuff mm-hmm. like that can you just talk about i was listening to the ted talk and like truly truly the 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 interrogation that you went through mm-hmm. was disgusting yes it was. can you just share that especially with farah because i she, i know she hasn't listened to it yet mm-hmm. but like i know our listeners are just gonna their, their jaws are gonna drop yeah so first of all i was interrogated for over about 24 hours and I was nonstop? Ch- nonstop, yes. Mm. I was chained to a chair. I was denied an attorney. Um, when I walked into the interrogation room, they already had information about me as a person. The detective exploited me because I worked at the time in a gentleman's club. And he pretty much leered at me with, you know, pretty much he was like flirting with me. And you could tell he had a really, really like bad attraction to me. Mm. And every time, you know, the, the other detective would leave, he, it would just be like we were just like friends. You know, like tell me, tell me what's going on. I'm going to let you leave. Like, he, he asked me about my breast. I had just had got breast augmentation done. He wanted to know about that. He wanted to know about, like, what happened at the club. So I kind of felt like I was dealing with a customer at my job, you know, and I, I was thinking of ways to get out of the situation. I was filthy. I was dirty. I was even denied access to the bathroom. And I became, I went from a witness to a suspect. And it happened all because, you know, I didn't want to play what he wanted me to play with. And I just want everybody to know now that he was convicted. He was convicted because he did the same thing that he did to me, but with another woman. Mm. He, he wind up, he fell, he fell in love with a girl from North Philly, Puerto Rican. She wind up uh, killing her boyfriend. He destroyed mm. all of the evidence. He, she pretty much got off because of his help. And, you know, that's, that's his M.O. And later on, after a decade, all of that came to light. Mm. The corruption is in, is in the city of Philadelphia with the cops. The DAs, they hide a lot of evidence, they lie, they do a lot of things to get convictions, and later on, they're overturned like mine. Not everybody's lucky because less than 1% wins the, the appeal that I won. But I just want people to know that, like, everything that they obtained that day was illegal. You know, the hours that I was chained was illegal. My, my co-defendant statement was illegal. The coercion from, you know, the lady who testified against us was illegal because they kept telling her, tell us the truth. And she kept trying to tell them the truth, and they didn't want that. She kept changing it and changing it to tailor what they wanted. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that happens a lot when the mind starts to bend, when you're afraid that you're going to go to prison and you're going to be charged with murder. Right. And so ultimately, through this disgusting torture, mm-hmm. basically, like that's what it's akin to, right? Yeah. They they thrust a plea deal to you. And this is what they do, right? Like they, they try to – they torture you mm-hmm. – you know, maybe not through physical torture, right? Mm-hmm. Like by by like physical abuse or anything like that, but mentally and clearly sexually, mm-hmm. you know, abusing you to the point where I put this plea deal in front of you, and it's the only way you're going to go home to see your 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 kids, right? Mm-hmm. Deprive you of food, water, mm-hmm. sleep, all of these things to to numb your senses so mm-hmm. that you're not thinking clearly. Yeah. And 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 but but it's also to like an empty promise of like, listen, I know you want to go home. Just 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 plead to this. We'll let you go home and see your kids. Mm -hmm. Is that what happened with you? Yes. And also they even took me out of the interrogation room to a screen and they wanted me to give them information about open homicide cases. And I said, I don't know anything about open homicide cases. They were trying to get anything that they could out of me. And I just want to say that as a woman, like being in that room, I was so scared. I've never encountered police like that so close. And police were responsible for, you know, one of my uncles that were murdered. So I was always afraid of cops. So being in there, like, I was like, God, I don't know what these people are going to do to me. You know, and I just kept telling them, please, I want to go home. I don't have nothing to do with this. I didn't go there. I went there as an addict to buy pills. I never went there to commit violence. You know, I had money. I didn't, I didn't need to do any of that. But this is what happens a lot of times to people that are poor. 
people of color. If I was a white woman privileged, I would have never gotten treated like that. Mm, and that's the facts. reality of the matter. They don't care about me. They didn't care about me for all the years I spent in prison. And I was wrongfully convicted. Mm. So, th so they give you this, they take you out of room, they ask you about state's evidence and murder trials that mm -hmm. have nothing to do with you at all. They give you, they drop a plea deal or a confession in front of you. Is yes. that correct? Yes. They typed up a confession that, you know, was typed up by the officers and they said, sign this and you'll go home. And I told them, like, I'll sign taking responsibility for the role that I played, which was, you know, I drove after, I guess I heard gunshots, but they didn't want that. They wanted me to say that I seen my co-defendant kill somebody and I did not. So I could not say that because I would have been lying. Mm -hmm. But they, they knew that we, in, in the commission of a robbery, if somebody dies, that is like felony murder. So they were looking for a first degree murder case against my co-defendant. And by pinning me with a homicide would eventually, probably later on, I would testify against him, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what really they were after, their conviction. They didn't really care about me. They didn't care about the victim. They didn't care about the truth. They wanted to seal their felony murder conviction, even if they used me as a pawn in their game to testify against him. Because without me, second degree murder probably would have stood for him, but maybe it would have been dropped down to third degree murder. And they know this, these type of things. Like they're, they're cops and they're really close to district attorney. I was going to say that they work closely with the DA. Uh -huh. too. They, they do. And it, and it makes you, you know, I mean, I, I can say personally, you know, through, through work that I do and things like that, like they truly only care about the statistic of winning mm -hmm. a case. And solving, solving, you know, homicides and murders. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the goal really isn't, like you said, it's not to actually advocate for you or get to the truth mm -hmm. of the matter. Right. It's really to just it's their a notch on their rate. belt. Right. Mm -hmm. And so and, you know, when it comes to, you know, them trying to turn you against your co-defendant. Right. Mm -hmm. It's the it's it's going back to what we talked about. Right. This is this is. We're like soldiers, you know, mm -hmm. living in the hood. You're like soldiers. The second you then turn on this other person, now you have to, you already know that the city and the state isn't there to advocate for you or to protect you. And now you are, you could possibly become a victim and being targeted through other means yeah. like that, trying to turn you against your own community. One, when you're not even sure or, or have been aware or present of activities that they're being accused mm -hmm. of. And also the witness, the star witness who, who turns the evidence on us, like she kept saying, I didn't see anything. I went down, I put my head down, I was hiding. So even though she was hiding and she couldn't see what happened, they still wanted her to testify. Mm. And she even admitted to being on PCP. She kept saying over and over, I'm high, I don't remember. However, they still went forward with mm. her testimony against me. So did you, did you not, to, not to say that, you know, you, were, you would have been at fault for mm -hmm. doing this because mm -hmm. I don't think anybody um, would be. But did you end up signing the confession? That yes, I signed the confession because, you know, I was like, OK, I'm going to take responsibility. I didn't even read it. I was like, I'm going to go home. I just want to go home. I just want to go home. I was like in a state of shock. Like yeah. I was being charged. They kept telling me, you're never going to see your kids. You're going home. You're not. You're never going home. You're going to prison for life. And I said, for life, I didn't even do anything. You know, I was so pissed off at my co-defendant. I didn't even know what happened. So after holding you for 24 hours, after being pissed off at the co at your co-defendant, because as rightfully so, right? Now you're in the situation where you thought you were just going to, to, to you know, get the, the your, your, your need fill, mm -hmm. right? And now you're in this whole murder situation. They hold you for 24 hours. They sexually abuse you mm -hmm. from just like their advances. Mm -hmm. They verbally abuse you, right, clearly. And then dangle this confession. You can go home if you sign this confession. Mm -hmm. You sign the confession, and then what happens? They told me to stand up that I was being charged with murder. Mm. And it's like, I just wanted to die. I was like, wait, wait, wait. I'm being charged with what? Because I, I literally didn't kill anybody. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't even know what happened in the park because the crime happened about 50 feet from my car. So at this point, you didn't even know someone died. No, I didn't know someone died until I got to homicide. You know, it was one day showed up at my house and they were like, you're being arrested for a murder. I said, murder? Who died? Because I know me, like, I'm, I've never been, even though I grew up in the trenches, I've never been a cold-hearted person. I do have a heart, you know, and if I knew I was in that type of trouble, I'm not stupid. I would have gotten an attorney. I would have probably, like, hit somewhere and so I would have gotten a lawyer and, you know, I would have turned myself your, in. Your attorney was uh, court-appointed? 
Well, no, I actually had a paid lawyer, but he turned out to be worse than a court-appointed lawyer. So obviously I was convicted and he never uh, he never objected to a prejudicial jury instruction. And that's what, what I was convicted for. I was convicted for an erroneous jury instruction that was sent to the jury. And McCorkle, the one who did my TED Talk, her husband was a juror on my case. And he was the juror who kept asking the question like, does aiding after the fact, you know, constitute accomplice liability? Can can you talk about that actually? Can you explain that a little a little more in detail? Yes. So so basically, on the third day of trial, the jurors went to deliberate. You could tell by the questions that they were asking that they didn't think I was guilty of, you know, the crime, but aiding my cousin after he committed the crime. So the legal response to that was no, because you cannot be an accomplice for aiding after the fact. It isn't enough. However, the judge, you know, with the but the prosecutor interjecting that, you know, there was enough evidence to suggest that I was an accomplice, changed her answer from no to it could, which is a violation of, you know, my constitutional rights. It's a due process violation because that's not what the jury asked you. So, so, because I, I want to be clear about this. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not okay. going to pretend to be. But <laughs> the, 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 the legal standard is you can't be an accomplice after the fact to a murder. No, for you to be an accomplice, you have to know about the crime that's Correct. about to take place. You don't have to have intention for second-degree murder. Like, you don't have to have any planning. But you have to know for the first felony, which would be the robbery, that there's a robbery going to happen, that you're going to plan to get away from the robbery. And you just, have to, you just have to help in the first felony, which is the robbery. And then the homicide, you don't, they don't really care about that. They just have to prove that you knew about a robbery. And so... The, the 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 instructions to the jury is to consider whether you not whether you knew about it right mm. because that's the legal standard but regardless of if you knew that you could still be held to account because you were i guess there, there. i was i was <laughs> charged as an accomplice so if you are charged as an accomplice you have to prove to the jury that i was an accomplice so the jury is asking you can she be guilty for solely aiding after a crime was committed the answer to that is no, because I wasn't charged for aiding after the fact. I was charged as an accomplice. So instead of her answering no, which is the legal response, there's no way around it. Mm -hmm. She answered it could with help from the, from the prosecutor. 20 minutes later, I was convicted and I was sentenced to life without parole. I went upstate and I really thought I was going to die. I wow. had to live with the trauma like and it was a lot of trauma. I want Philadelphia to know how bad they hurt me to know that I was gonna die in that prison. And if it wasn't for the federal judge who granted my appeal, I would have still been up there. I, I'm, I'm sorry you, you like, yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm sorry ain't even enough for her. Like the yeah. city, the, the city, the system itself, honestly, is just really shitty. And I, yeah. I wanted to really zero in on that because that's so important, right? It's basically, they basically said, you could be held guilty. Mm -hmm. If I picked, if I was an Uber driver, and I pick somebody up <laughs> who just robbed a bank, right? I could be held guilty for that as an accomplice, if even though aided. I didn't. If I aided his, because because I picked him up aiding after he robbed it, the yeah, bank, that's right? aiding. And so, I I he it was literally immediately after robbing the bank, and so I I could be considered an accomplice, even though I didn't know he just robbed legally, the bank. Legally, legally, like, you are not supposed to be an accomplice. But the judge said that they that yes, you could be. she misinstructed the jury on the charge. And because they are not lawyers, right? When they asked that question, Dr. McCorkle's husband thought that he was going to convict me only for aiding after the fact, which would have probably been like two or three years. Mm -hmm. He didn't know I was getting the life sentence because in his mind, he was like, you know what? I'm going to convict her just for aiding because that's all I think she did after he did whatever he did. Right. But they don't, they don't, they never got the memo that it was a mandatory life sentence. You know, that the guilty meant guilty and that I was going away for life. Wow. So it was a miscarriage of justice. It happens a lot. It happens. There's so many innocent people that have my charges of state. And that's why I keep reiterating that because it isn't just about me. There's about many of my comrades that I left behind that have 30 years under their belt, 40 years. They were wrong. They're wrongfully convicted. And some of them have died innocent. Your, 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 the TED talk that you sent me that I listened to that we're going to put in the show notes talked about, first of all, like I just can't rave enough about how amazing it was. It literally, I was listening to it. And you know how you... You, you got something playing and you kind of working and shit. Like it got to a point where like she started saying things and I had to stop what I was doing mm -hmm. to look at what was being shared. And she talked about how one, 
there is, especially in the academic realm, there is this recognition of around like 2010, there's a recognition of mass incarceration. And some there's been some legislation to start to address it and bring it down. Not a, not enough. Not enough. Not mm-hmm. close Nearly to enough, enough but some. But that has only truly, we, the only decrease we've started to see is a slight decrease in men being incarcerated while women the incarceration for women is actually on the uh, increase, right? And so, like, that made me, like, stop in my tracks and was Mm -hmm. like, why don't I know about this? Like, why didn't I know about this before? But also, like, why aren't more people talking about this? Because I think this is an inherent problem and sounds like what you've experienced just through your interrogation alone, let alone, like, the prison experience that you had Mm -hmm. to endure of sexism in the criminal justice system. Is, has uh, you, you talked about like you advocating for other victims who have similar stories mm-hmm. to yours. Are you finding that it's more like women? Like, can you just speak to like the 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 criminalization uh, of trauma for women in the mm-hmm. in the prison system and like the rates of like just. So so women first, I could say that are pretty much criminalized for sometimes being weak for falling apart. And I feel like, you know, society always holds us to a higher standard because we're women and we should be home cooking. We should be moms. We should know better. And that isn't always the case because we are we have feelings. We deal with trauma and sometimes we fall apart. And in doing so, we are judged by jurors who, you know, are, are biased. They're like, you shouldn't have been on a drug corner. You should have been home with your kids. You should have been stronger. Mm-hmm. You should have known better. You know, or, or you're, you're beautiful. You have the power to make somebody do something. You know, if I had the power to make somebody do something, I wouldn't have been on the drug corner so weak like that. You know, there's a lot of my comrades who are in there for defending themselves against crimes that were committed, you know, towards them by men. And instead of, you know, being treated appropriately with a charge as of self-defense, they were giving life sentences. Some of them resulting in, you know, guilty third-degree murder pleas. And again, it talks about, you know, black and the brown women who are looked at as, you know, aggressive as opposed to a white woman who's looked at more as a victim. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And it's a problem. It's very sad. It's very mean. The, 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 the war on drugs, you know, they, they criminalize trauma when, when it comes up to women that were doing crack. A lot of those women were doing crack to self-medicate because of tra- traumatic issues that they had as children. You know, post-slavery, there wasn't a lot of help. So in addressing that issue, there's so many problems that, you know, they just want to say, you're bad. You were doing crack. You did a crime. But they're not taking the time to look at what the society has done to these people. And that's what I try to do on Instagram. And that's what I try to do with my work as an abolitionist agitator. Just bring awareness to what the government has done to people. I love I love mm-hmm. that you're, you're doing this work, mm-hmm. really. And being yeah. an advocate for, for so many, like, don't have a voice because they're locked down and inside and... and and there's this negative stigma that's attached, mm-hmm. especially for those who are right. Like everybody in prison is claiming that they're that they're innocent, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so nobody is willing to listen. And so like the work that you're doing is like incredibly, incredibly important on mm-hmm. on, on that front. And and there's I, I was there's this amazing like Netflix documentary that ta- that highlights how like the war on drugs really criminalized, particularly like w- black women and other women of color on that same lines of mm-hmm. right like you you should be at home and so i'm 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 almost holding you guilty even more because you weren't doing what you were supposed to do as a woman right like as if men have a like i don't know well that's just because blanche, i mean that's that's a part of the it's right? a part of the patriarchy right mm-hmm. it's a part of policing women's bodies mm-hmm. and saying what is it? What what's okay for a woman to do, and what is okay for a woman to, not to do? What she can wear, how she can wear her hair, how she should raise her children, what kind of jobs is okay for her to take? It's all a part of policing women and their bodies. And I could I, I could go on a rant. Yeah, you know you know me. I can go on a rant. <laughs> I say rant away. But can you can you share with us some of the work that you're doing now, and and then also weigh in on the current district attorney mm-hmm. and is if that if and and is that a step in the right direction when mm-hmm. it comes to reforming the system well i can say that we must identify when people are doing good and we must also identify when people should do more i think that larry krasner is doing good but i believe that he should do more 
I believe that with my case, I believe he dropped the ball because I had to plead to a conviction that is punitive. And, and me pleading because I'm a Latina woman who doesn't have a lot of resources, I was afraid to go back to trial. They should have charged me appropriately with the, the crime, you know, of aiding after the fact. Instead, they had a murder conviction hanging over my head. I think that, you know, he did an amazing job with exonerating the men that he exonerated. I think that there's a lot of women that need to be exonerated. When I was upstate, we filled out a lot of submission forms on the behalf of my comrades, and they're still in prison. You know, there's a lot of, there's something right now that's called the white files that are being sealed by his office. And this, this, these files have exculpatory evidence that could clear people from guilt or blame. That's what exculpatory is. And these files are sealed. Those same files is how those men were exonerated. Why are they called the white files? Um, they're they're called the white files because that's how they're just, I guess, labeled in the DA's office. White papers, the white files. Yeah. Any kind of discovery on whether it's medical or legal it is considered a white paper. Yeah. So those files right now are being sealed by his office. He talks a lot about, you know, the past DAs and, you know, them abusing their constitutional. They're dumb not holding up to the Constitution. But by you not allowing somebody you know, right to the evidence in their case is also unconstitutional. It, it violates all of their rights. There's no way that they could challenge their conviction properly. With my case, they had a conviction for the woman who text, testified against me, an open case that would have sent her to prison for two to 10 years. They hid the whole case from us. Mm. It wasn't until a decade later. So they do hide evidence. I do believe those files exist. I do believe that they need to be released so that the people that are serving time, you know, in state prisons for murders under the Philadelphia Homicide Unit, they need to be all checked. Because if you exonerated all of these people, why haven't you exonerated a woman? Why isn't the women coming out? These are women that were that are moms. Their families are being teared apart. Their children are being raised by their grandparents. You know, it's, it's a really bad problem. And if you want to make it right, make it right by... Allowing the women to come home, especially the women who didn't commit the crimes. So you, I, I just want to go back actually on something. You, you were, you were initially sent to prison. What year? I was convicted in 2010 and arrested in 2008. You were arrested in 2008. Did you? Were you serving those two years, or were you out? Were you no, get out on I wasn't. I had murder charges. So I had no bail. I was held without bail. First, uh, was it first degree murder? It was second. First, second it was murder. first. It was first degree murder, and then we had to put you know motions to quash it down to second degree because that's what they do. They charge you really high. They know you're mm-hmm. poor. They know you don't have resources, and they know you don't know the law. Mm-hmm. So they, they prey on all of your, you know, your, your, your inability to understand what they have went to school for so long. So you were I'm pointing this out for a, I'm going to get to a point eventually. Mm-hmm. But you, you go to you, you get arrested in 2018. You no, serve 2008, 2008. Sorry. Mm-hmm. You get arrested in 2008. Mm-hmm. You serve uh, for two years while you are awaiting trial. You get convicted mm-hmm. in 2010. Mm-hmm. When do you get out? I got out in uh, 2020. So you 2021. Get- Damn, you just got out. I just got out, oh, yeah. Oh, shit. Damn, walk on home. <laughs> Welcome yeah, home, thank sis. Welcome the fuck home. <laughs> thank you. Wait, hold on. We got we got a new take feature, that. y'all. Yes, yes, go ahead. Welcome do it, home. Do it. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right, all right. That deserves the air. Hold it really on. does. It really does deserve the air. It really hold does. Um, the reason why I asked this, because mm-hmm. you were not exonerated. Correct. No, I was not exonerated. My sentence, I won in a federal court. I, my sentence was vacated, meaning they, they completely threw my whole conviction out. Who the, threw it out? The federal judge. The judge threw it out, meaning the district attorney's office. No, they didn't throw any. They denied all of my appeals. Still believe you should be charged to this day. Yes, they denied mm. all of my appeals. And and even though I was wrongfully convicted, there's evidence to prove it. The, the judge, the higher judge, when he vacated my sentence, he was pissed off. They give an opinion in the back, and you could tell that he was, by his voice, he was annoyed that they did this to me, that they sent, they sent me to prison for life without parole for, for an erroneous jury instruction that could have been avoided by the judge who knew better, by the prosecutor who knew better. However, they didn't care about me at all. They didn't care on all the nights when I wanted to end my life and I was in prison. Like, none of that trauma they cared about. And, you know, it's really hurtful to know that your city could just throw you out like that. You know, that they don't, they don't care about you if you're poor. They don't care about you if you're a person of color. And even when they hurt you and they cause so much harm, it's like they still want blood. They still wanted to take me to trial. They still wanted to convict me of murder. 
you know, after everything that they put me through, and it's it's just horrible, and I'm very shameful sometimes at my city, like, for all the wrong that they do, and they never want to take accountability and do right. And Larry Krasner is doing a good job, but he needs to do better. He needs to really step up, and he needs to be the progressive civil rights attorney that we put him in office to be because our families were the ones that voted him in. We have the most lifers in Philadelphia. Out of Pennsylvania, we have the highest lifer population. And he came to the lifer family meetings, and he said that he would bring the lifers home. I won through the federal courts, not through Larry Krasner. Yes, he signed my deal to get out. However, they still dropped the ball because I have a punitive conviction. I have a murder, uh, a murder record on my record, and I didn't kill anybody. So it's, it's still on your record? Yeah, because I had to take a plea in order to get out because they still wanted to prosecute me. Mm. You know, the, the chief of homicide, Anthony Bucci, made a big fuss when my lawyer and Dr. Joe McCorkle were advocating to get me out. He wanted to send me back to prison to do another 11 years. And karma is a bitch because he was demoted. God doesn't like ugly. What you're doing is wrong. You know, you're preying on, on single mothers, single mothers that are broken. I don't have enough podcasts to, to keep this going. <laughs> like, this is, this is just good We're shit. We're going to have to have sis back I and, mean, like, we, discuss some more things, you know? We, we are, for sure. We might... Damn, this is so good. There, there's, there's so much you got into there that mm-hmm. I, I agree with, right? Like, mm-hmm. by far, you know... Krasner is better than this mm-hmm. candidate Absolutely. that he's running against, Carlos Vega, right? Yes. However, that doesn't mean he can't still be held to account for mm-hmm. doing his job correctly mm-hmm. and doing the things that he promised to do, right? Mm-hmm. And so you you had mentioned that, like, or, or alluded to that there's been no women mm-hmm. exonerated. He hasn't exonerated one woman. All of the men, all of the people he's exonerated men. are all men. All men, all men. And it's, I think it's up to 19 mm-hmm. now, is that correct? It's all men, not one woman. And Philadelphia has the power to do it. They have this, this submission form that's circulating, and it's coming from, you know, the, the conviction unit, the post-conviction unit with Patricia Cummins. Why hasn't there been a woman exonerated? There's my friend upstate who was convicted of an arson. When she was convicted in the 90s, they, they didn't have the, the evidence, the science, to determine how the fire started. So we have people upstate right now with jurors convicting them because they were emotional. You know, this is an arson. This should be tested with forensics. And we have the forensics today. Why isn't she being brought down from, from Muncie? Why isn't the people that, you know, have accomplice liability like myself who did not commit the crime, why aren't they getting relief? These are mothers. They're dying in prison. And it's, it's a really sad existence. And I feel like as a progressive city, we need to do better. Whew. We, Yeah. I can't. I'm not going to follow that up. I ain't even going to try to follow that up. You are absolutely right. This city really does need to do better. you have anything you want to add in on this before I, I ask one last question and wrap up? No. I mean, I have. I do have a question. Okay. Considering the, all of the trauma that is happening to black and brown women in the city, what do you ad, what, what kind of advice can you give the women here to discussing or addressing the trauma to help steer them away Mm -hmm. from getting into the system and becoming a a statistic? The first thing I would say is if you feel sad, you know, you have to have the self-dialogue that Socrates talks about. You have to say, why am I sad? You know, where is this sadness going to lead me? Hurting yourself by taking pills and drugs is only going to make your situation worse. It's going to put you in handcuffs in a situation where you cannot get out of. You know, there's nothing worth going to prison. Your emotions, you can get over anything. I promise I was in the darkest place in my life when I got arrested. I survived prison. I survived hell. We are strong people. You just have to fight and not become what society wants you to become. You know? Go ahead. No, that, that was it. Who the fuck known you would have <laughs> had such a dope-ass guest? <laughs> Thank you. Dropping shit on the city that's well-deserved. <laughs> I mean, because we, we, we give it. But we, we this came with the receipts. We we do. We do. She came with the receipts. She came, you know, throwing bombs. She came as a former incarcerated woman, mm-hmm. quoting fucking Socrates. Listen. <laughs> Listen. Just saying. Um, we dope. That's all I have to say. Can, yeah, can you dope. answer two questions of for me? Of course. Go How ahead. How can more folks support the work that you're doing to help mm-hmm. incarcerated folks? And what is your one ask to the city right now? So my one ask to the city right now is to release all of the women who are SCI Muncie who did not commit who did not co- commit the crimes under the accomplice liability, you know, law. I ask that those women are released. Period. If the, the crimes were committed by the men, 
prosecute and, and let the men go, but let the women go. That's what I'm asking the city. What I do, what I ask people to support my work is, is basically not being so judgmental, stopping and pausing, and try to understand why people commit crime, as opposed to just running to judgment and say, you know what, you did something bad. Stop and ask yourself, why did you do something bad? You know, where do you come from? Why, you know, is she hurting? I think that, that that's what helps me because I try to change the way people think and I try to change the way people look at crime, right? I try to judge the whole, the society, the post-slavery, you know, the socioeconomic before I'm judgmental of another person because if not, I'll just be ignorant and I'm not really informed. How can people find you? Oh, you can find me Cynthia underscore Alvarado 221. I'm on Instagram. And that's pretty much where I'm the only platform that I'm really, really popping on. <laughs> we, we, we gotta, uh, we got we gotta, we gotta find out ways to, to build you up a platform so that folks can get plugged into some of the work that you're doing. We're gonna, we gonna stay connected outside yeah, of this. Yeah, I'm so yes. excited. Yeah, because uh, I got, I got a lot of, there's a number of things that you mentioned here. Mm-hmm. And, I know that there's some work that intersects in, mm-hmm. in how we can do some stuff I'm together. S- Cynthia Alvarado, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Welcome thank you. Home. Thank you. Give, thank her, you give, it, give it to her. There you go. <laughs> um, appreciate you being here and dropping some gems so on, on the episode. Thank, thank you. Thank you, guys. Have a good night. Hey, everybody. I know throughout this pandemic, everyone has been saying we're all in this together. Well, here at Salas Corner, I want to really hear from you and what you're enduring during this pandemic. Give us a call, leave us a voice memo, and we'll play that on our next episode of Salas Corner. That number is 267-225-5891. Share with me your thoughts, your feelings, things that you're doing to survive during this pandemic, and you'll get your memo featured on the next episode of Salas Corner. All right, welcome back. That was a dope ass episode. It really was. It was so I, I felt very emotional. In, it was in, in there. Yeah, it was a lot. We it, it was very emotional, and there was a lot we didn't actually talk about when it comes to getting into the details of some of the work she's doing, but also like she dropped a gem on the white files mm-hmm. and how that relates to some cases that folks have been championing in Philadelphia, particularly the Mia Abu-Jamal case, and how, like, folks are really trying to hold Krasner's feet to the fire on doing more to exonerate folks that should be, like... Yeah, there's a a town hall, not a debate, but a town hall that he's going to be a part of, and I might submit a question about her case in particular and involve that in, like, what he's doing for women you know, releasing women. So I'm, I'm going to try good and point. put a question out about that. That's a good, good point. I might, I might have to, I might have to drop it as well just to get it up there. Mm-hmm. All right. We are here with our whack asses of the week. Yes. I think we both prepared this time. Yes. Look at that. <laughs> we did our, we did our job this week, y'all. We did. All right. Who, uh, who wants to go first? I guess I can go first. Okay. So my whack ass of the week this week is Mark uh, Squilla. I think that's how you pronounce Squilla. his name. Squilla. Whatever. Mark Squilla, he is a, a council member on the Philadelphia City Council for District 1. And he is whack-ass of the week because he is suing Mayor Kenny for renaming Columbus Day, saying that it's not considering the rights of Italian-Americans. Hmm. And my whack-ass this week is the Minneapolis Police Department. Particularly, it seems as though... This seems to be a central location of constant police violence, police killings. And this seems to be a recurring theme every summer in Minneapolis. And it is becoming ever clear that we need to defund the police there especially, but everywhere. But my whack ass of the week is the Minneapolis Police Department for yet another killing. Yours is good. Usually yeah. we usually we, we do we flip this, right? Like usually I'm more local, you are yeah. more national, but now we've kind of flipped this. A I little was bit. going to pick the Minneapolis Police Department. That was initially going to be my whack ass of the week. But then I was like, you know what? I want to find something local that needs to be I always talk about national politics, right? And so I wanted to find something that was more localized that was important or just fucking ridiculous like this suit yeah it's and he's citing their site in the in the in the in the court filing they also cite the removal of Rizzo's statue that and and wanting to take down the Columbus statue 
in a Macaroni Park. Bro, just say you're an open racist. <laughs> like, so, that's yeah. basically what it sounds like. Just say, hey, I'm racist. I would like the white institutions to stay where they are. That's terrible. Uh, I, I I, mean, I've always thought he was trash. But for a while, they were. there was a debate on whether the in, indigenous people, I'm sorry, not that, Juneteenth was going to be on the calendar as a as a holiday in Philly. Mm-hmm. There was debate on that when they initially released the calendar in, in Philly. So, you know, you already know that, like, the city ain't really behind the backs of people of color, mm-hmm. indigenous people, black people. I mean, but with the, with the recognition that, that it got because of, you know, everything happening nationwide, the 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 recognition that Juneteenth got nationwide, you would think that it was a smart move politically, if not for the community that they serve. You would think, but uh, that's, that's why I said you yeah, would think. <laughs> yeah, but no, and 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 my black ass pick. I, I I've been I've been debating on writing a piece about this because I haven't written anything in a while. No, you haven't. But it it this seems every summer, right? Like we're told, or we're constantly told that. You know, folks are going to be out here acting the fool and acting up. And so crime is going to rise. Well, you you know what other crime that's rising every single summer? Police murdering somebody like that is something that is happening more. It, it seems to be with more frequency every summer, year after year, and especially in Minneapolis. Right. Like mm-hmm. we've we've we've, you know, in the middle of the whole the George the Floyd, Floyd thing. Right. We got the acquittal of the case with Philando Castile, right? That was also in Minneapolis. And that kind of flew under the radar for a lot of folks mm-hmm. because of the whole George Floyd and Breonna Taylor protests and things like that. And then now you have another murder that's taking place. It's for just like... a fucking century. Yeah, yeah. which we ain't even gonna get into how <laughs> apparently a century hanging from your rearview mirror is supposed to be illegal. But I digress. Vote for our whack asses <laughs> of the week in this Instagram stories. You can follow me on Instagram at Salas Corner. Check out the website as always at SalasCorner.com and make sure you email me all your questions, burning topics, opinions at realtalk at SalasCorner.com. Uh, you can find me on uh, both the socials, Twitter and you, you don't really want to be on my Facebook. That shit is boring. But Twitter and Instagram, that shit is boring, too. But you can still follow me. Both of them is farah.gamo. That's F-A-R-A-H dot G-A-M-O. Yeah, and you can email me, too, if you want. I mean, I don't care. Yeah, you can email me, too. Farah.alyssa at gmail.com. I just don't expect any emails. So that's why I'm just like, "Eh, whatever. I feel like that's a a good way of, like, downplay. It's like reverse psychology that you're doing. Like whatever, you know. I want you. I want you bullshit, <laughs> and then everybody just floods. But then I don't want to seem condescending, you know. Like pe- the people don't matter because you do. <laughs> you matter to me. I, I just don't expect you to email me. But if you want to email me, that'd be great. We can have a chat. Your voice matters. Hit us up. Follow us on the <laughs> socials. Salah's Corner is recorded out of Rec Philly. It is a space for creative individuals. It's produced by producer the great Reina. And features my co-host, Farah. Until next time, peace, y'all. Listen to black women.